Last week, we talked about the reading of scripture, preaching, and prayer, and how they shape our liturgical practices. And this week, we're going to move forward to the meal that we know by a whole bunch of different names. Communion, Eucharist, Lord's Supper, take your pick. And I want to kind of frame this by talking about koinonia first. Koinonia is the Greek word that's used in the New Testament to talk about fellowship or communion. Koinonia draws together the vertical dimension, our relationship with God, and the horizontal dimension, which is our relationship with each other through Jesus. So koinonia stands as a central concept in the New Testament and then shows up over a hundred times. And the concept is especially important to St. Paul, but it shows up in Luke and John's Gospels as well. And in its most common use, Paul uses it to describe the church, a fellowship that's held together by the Spirit. And Luke makes a similar claim in the book of Acts, where he talks about how the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. But koinonia isn't just something in the Bible, it's something that shows up in our liturgy as well. In the meal portion of the liturgy, the ELW says that God feeds us with the presence of Jesus Christ. In the sacrament of the Eucharist, we experience koinonia once again, both with God in Christ and with one another as well. Koinonia is St. Paul's most used term when he talks about the sacrament. In 1 Corinthians, he speaks about the breaking of the bread as a koinonia in the body of Christ and the sharing of the cup as a koinonia in his suffering. The Eucharist unites us with Christ, but it also unites us with other people as well. When Luther talked about communion, he said that it pledged, granted, and imparted Christ and all the saints, together with all their works, sufferings, merits, mercies, and possessions. So it not only unites us with Christ, but with all of the saints. So there is a social unity there. Just as Christ bore our sorrows, we now take on the trials of one another. As co-members of the body of Christ, we see not only ourselves, but one another differently around the table. The unity that's embodied in the sacrament was why St. Paul admonished the church in Corinth to settle their differences before coming together for the meal. Now, it may seem kind of goofy to call communion a meal with its little cups and its tiny wafers, but in the early church, it actually was a meal. The bread was broken and consecrated, and then a meal was shared, and then wine was passed around at the end. And over time, that changed for a lot of reasons, but at least in its original context, the Eucharist was an actual meal. And the elements matter here, too, both because they're important in Jesus' ministry, but because of what they symbolize. Bread is the basic food staple in Jesus' world and in ours, and wine is the most common celebratory drink. So in this meal, we have something that's both simple and ordinary, but it's also something festive at the same time. And though the Eucharist occurs within the Sunday worship setting, it has implications that go beyond the church walls. M. Sean Copeland, who's a Catholic theologian, draws this out in what she calls Eucharistic solidarity. The Eucharist, she writes, nourishes, strengthens, and orders us as we make visible Jesus's body through a practice of solidarity, which counters the disorder of the world. So that bound together with the tortured Christ, we can respond in acts of self-sacrifice by committing ourselves to the long labor of creation and to the enfleshment of freedom. So Copeland's theology of Eucharistic solidarity is ordered in praxis or practice, but it's really about koinonia at the bottom of it. 
The Eucharist unites us with the Church, with the crucified and risen Christ, and brings us into greater fellowship with the world by reorienting us towards suffering. That as we share in the body of Christ around the table, we're not only united with the risen Christ, but united with and turned toward those in need. The Eucharist gives us what Lutheran theologian Oswald Bayer calls a new worldliness, even though we're still in this world. This kind of new worldliness leads us past advocacy to solidarity, not only speaking out for the downtrodden, but to enter into fellowship with all in need. And just as the Eucharist is a sign whose koinonia stands against racism, classism, and sexism, we are ourselves transformed into signs that point past false ideologies toward the kingdom of God. In the same way that the Son was bound to human flesh even to the point of death, the Eucharist binds us together with those in need. Solidarity is not an intellectual exercise, but an embodied practice. And just as Christ's body was executed outside the city, we place our bodies with the marginalized and suffering. And in this way, the koinonia with Christ that's given to us in the Eucharist reorients us toward and unites us with others in this Christological solidarity. So the Eucharist doesn't just strengthen us for mission somewhere outside the church, but the Eucharist is mission in that it brings people to life in and with God. So mission here is not just something that happens outside of the church, and the Eucharist isn't just something that strengthens us for some more important thing outside of the liturgy, but the liturgy is normative and shapes our entire life and practice and brings us to life in and with God.